I just want to say thank you to Pastor and Brother Daniel and the church for allowing me to come up here, uh, get to stand at the most sacred desk in the world. Um, just a, a humbling experience again. Uh, some of you asked why, why you, you were asked to preach, and uh, I would just tell you I'm on a standard rotation, so you probably need to come more often. <clears throat> I, this is not the first time I preached here. I'm on a 10-year cycle. And uh, as, as a captain, young captain, I got to stand here and do this. I'll give you a little bit of analogy of how the sermon's going to go tonight. Uh, we have an old classic car. Some of you all have seen that old convertible out there. And once in a while, um, I'll grab the keys and my wife will say, what are you doing? And I say, well, I'm just going to go see what happens. And I'll go out and uh, I'll, I'll take some work. It'd take me 10 or 15 minutes to get it to crank over and get the carburetor primed. And I'll finally get it started. And then uh, I'll get it rolled out of the garage, and I'll have a destination. <clears throat> and whether I get there or not, I don't know. But that's probably what the message is going to go like. It's going to take me a minute to get started, and we're going to have a place that we're going to go. But I will do everything I can to look good while I'm doing it. <laughs> we're going to put the top down and have a good time. I'm not going to tell you anything new that you don't already know. All right? What I'm going to try to do is give you a different perspective that comes from my life. If you would, take your Bibles and um, I want you to put a finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and that will be a place that we get to later. And the text verse, text passage will be in Philippians chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to start, and we're going to end up going to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And once you find your place there in Philippians, you can stand with me, and uh, we'll begin to read there. And we'll just read a, about 10 verses here in Corinthians, I mean, sorry, Philippians chapter 4. Now, my Sunday school class already knows. If I say something wrong and you get fused, they just raise their hand. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Somebody tell me again what verse you're at, okay? And so if I say it wrong, just let me know. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll start reading there in verse number 9. <clears throat> Those things which, we, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly... But now, at the least, your, I'm sorry, but now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that you, ye did communicate with my affliction. And now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. 
but because I desire a gift. I'm sorry, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for the opportunity to meet in a free country. Lord, I just pray tonight that we understand that there's more to missions than just giving our dollars. And Lord, I just ask you to help us to uh, uh, learn to do as much as we possibly can. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul touches on several responsibilities about the business of missions. He expounds on the joy of missions and, and for those who would employ themselves in a the work of missions, <clears throat> Paul's, uh, Paul, those that would employ in the work of missions like Paul, he focuses on this and he focuses on the propagation of the gospel of Christ. I want you to look back at verse number 11, if you would. <clears throat> and there Paul writes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That word want there is the exact same word that's used in Mark chapter 12 and verse 44, talking about the widow and her two mites. And it says there, for they all did cast in their abundance, but she did, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even her living. Her want was a description of her life. It describes that she was destitute, she was impoverished, she had lack of the basic needs of humanity, food, shelter, raiment. She was poor. She was destitute. And I want you to understand, Paul said, I'm not asking for this because I'm going hungry. I'm not destitute. I'm not impoverished. He said, I don't speak in respect of want. There's not such a great need here that if you don't show up today, then I'm not going to make it. That is not his point at all. <clears throat> In verse number 10, he said he rejoiced greatly that the church gave and sent financially for his care. But here in verse 11, he just reiterates the fact that he is not impoverished. And it's important for you to understand that Paul is not pulling at the heartstrings of these people. He's not trying to move them uh, and move of their sympathies. And, and dig at their wallets and their checkbooks because they feel bad or they feel like uh, they, they just must do something. That's not what Paul's saying. You will, if you've been saved for any time or you're around missions or missionaries very much, you'll find missionaries come through here and some look like um, they've made it. I mean, they got the best suits and dresses. Uh, they're driving a decent car. And you think that everything's good. 
I would tell you that was me and my that was me and my wife. What a blessing. Going through deputation, I just couldn't believe the amount of blessings that God poured on us. You know, my wife's driving around in a brand new car that we didn't pay for. Like, how does that happen? And all I'm saying is, is, is that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that you, it, it's... <clears throat> Sorry. What Paul's trying to tell you is you're going to see missionaries that come in here that look like they are in great need. They're going to come in here and you're going to go, they need clothes, they need tires, they need this, that, and the other, and they're going to pull at your heartstrings, and they're going to pull at your sympathies, and you're going to take the check out, and you're going to write the check, and I'm going to tell you that's the wrong way to give. You say, well, what's the right way to give? The right way to give is to come into the church with pockets full of money that you want to give to a missionary before you ever see what the need is. I show up to preach tonight and Brother Daniel gives me a $100 bill and he said, I know you don't want to take it, but somebody's wanting to give it and they want to be anonymous. And I said, well, praise the Lord. Somebody gave me an illustration tonight. <clears throat> they know I didn't need it. They know what I do for a living. They know that God's taking care of me and my family. And I would just want to tell you that <clears throat> you should never be compelled by your sympathies to give or do based on the perception of what you think is going on. Your giving should be based on the Word of God and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Missionaries really need support to get on the field and stay on the field. I would, I would take phone calls from pastors and, and, or I would try to reach out to them and they would say, we can't take you on, but we can give you some money to get down the road. And I said, preacher, I don't want money to get down the road. I want to get money to get off of the road. But I will tell you what happened. Those churches that did or didn't pick us up, there was always a member in the church with the cash in hand that met the need. They never knew what the need was. I have been auctioned at churches. I show up for a, 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 mess, a, a church and it's supposed to be uh, missions and I'm going to talk about revival in the church and I got this waxed message ready to go. It's all polished up. And I show up and the preacher goes, ah, yeah, I forgot you were coming. We're having a tent revival though. And I'm like, well, I got a revival message, but I didn't get to preach. And uh, he goes, after all the service was done, he calls me up and he says, hey, church, there's about 400 people there. He says, I just want to tell you that I forgot the missionary was coming. He goes, I think we probably ought to just give him some money. Anybody got dollars, $1,000, $1,000, $1,200? And every one of those people gave. And here's what they didn't know. I had just blown a $3,600 transmission. Anybody want to guess how much I left with? You betcha. That's exactly right. <clears throat> it's not the sympathies. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit that will move your money where it needs to be. 
All right, that's not the message that was the introduction. Like I told you, it was slow, so we can move on. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 15. Tonight I want us to consider a few parts of world missions. Let's just consider missions. It's more than just money. First, I want you to consider the call. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And look there what Paul says. He says in the beginning of the gospel. He's not talking about uh, at Christ at the cross. He's talking about the beginning of his ministry. The, when he got to Macedonia, when he began to answer that call. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the Bible says he was a chosen vessel. And he sent Ananias out there to see him. And then in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 9, the Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And Paul was that chosen vessel who answered. He was set aside to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul answers the call to Macedonia, and he goes up there, and he establishes churches. He establishes ministries up in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea before he continues back down into Greece and, Cor and Corinth. Paul works throughout Macedonia, seeing much, of, uh, uh, much, seeing much success. <clears throat> and we praise Paul for that. Do we not? Do we not talk about his great three missionary journeys? How he moved from Derby all the way up to Macedonia and Philippi and Thessalonica and then down to Athens and over to Corinthian or Corinth. You know, we see that today once in a while. We'll see missionaries go out on deputation, then they say they're going to India, and the next thing you know, they're in um, Haiti. And we start questioning, well, what happened to them? Well, you didn't question Paul, did you? <clears throat> we see church planners go on the mission field, deputation and raising uh, money, and, and they end up at an established church. And the next thing you know, they're calling back and saying, hey, uh, we don't need the support. We're going to stay in this established church. We've been called here. And you go, well, what happened to them? You didn't ask that of Paul, did you? I mean, we'd all like to be the second Holy Spirit. I understand that. Uh, my wife does a really good job. We see foreign missionaries come home and take churches. And if the missionary doesn't really meet our understanding of God's call on their life, well, then we need to reconsider their motive. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Believe me, people will consider motives of missionaries. I have a dear friend, haven't seen him in a long time. Started a church. It's a good church. It was in a foreign field. It was running about 70 or 80. Had a uh, young missionary that came in and 
He turned the church over to him as he began to teach a Bible college there. He moved to a country next door, bordering country, and he lost support. Because that's not the country he went to go raise money for. In his first four years, he lost support because he simply crosses a border with the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start reading there in verse number 3. Follow with me if you would. Not only are we going to consider the call, we need to consider the motive of the call. In verse number 3, here's what Paul says. My answer to them that would examine me is this. He said, you want to know what my motive is? I'm going to tell you. Paul answers those, and he says next in verse 4, have, you not power, have we not power to eat and drink? Paul says, look, I should at least be able to go to work and make some money, right? At least sustain myself. In verse 5, have we not power to lead about sister and wife as well as other apostles as, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He's simply arguing, look, I should be able to enjoy family. I should, I should not be different than you because I'm carrying the gospel. Or only I and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? He says, everybody else can do it, but it's not going to be okay for me. That doesn't make sense. In verse number seven, who goeth to warfare at any time at his own charge? Well, no soldier does that. No, no soldier takes of his own income and his, his own uh, uh, order, and he goes out and wages a war. That doesn't happen. Paul's saying, I am not doing this by choice. I was sent here. In verse, in, more in verse 7, Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Well, we know that any man that plants is going to eat of the harvest, unless it's done at the Horton household and ours is consumed by weeds and whatever. We're not very good gardeners. But we know no man would labor and not take of the harvest. And who would feedeth of the flock and, and not of the milk of the flock? Look at verse 8. He says, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law also? Paul just pointing out, he's like, Hey, these things that I'm arguing for you right now is not just my opinion. It's actually in the law that if I work, I get a wage. And verse number nine, for it's written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of the oxen? Well, of course he does. And oh, by law, the oxen that's grinding out the corn, you can't muzzle him. He needs to be allowed to reach around and get some corn while he works if need be. In verse 10, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes no doubt it is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Simply stated, if those that do the work ought to have the benefit and be a partakers of the harvest. Whether you plow or you plant or you thresh of the harvest, you should be paid for your labor. Now understand, Paul's making an argument here. He's saying, if you, if you want to critique me, you want to examine me, this is my answer. <clears throat> if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we should reap your carnal things? Uh-oh. Now we just got serious. 
Now, because, oh, wait a minute, I gave you something that's of value, money. I've given you crops that you can trade. I've given you stocks that you can share. I've given you all of these goods of monetary value. But, oh, now, because what I'm giving you is Christ. I'm giving you eternity. I'm giving you a changed family. I'm giving you the hope, not only in this life, but in eternity. Amen. He says, because I gave you that. Should I not at least be paid? He says, I've done more good for you than any man that's ever plowed, planted, or threshed out the wheat. <clears throat> In verse 12, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? He says, you have other people in the harvest taking of you. He says, I'm not doing that yet. Look at verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I haven't taken it, and I don't want it. He said, if you want to judge my motives, then you need to understand that my motives are for the gospel of Christ. Anytime you go to do a work for Christ, you will find the naysayer. Your family won't understand. Your work won't understand. Your associates will not understand. Your spouse may not even understand. My wife said, you're doing what? I said, I'm going to Bible college. She said, why? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, you're running a business full time. You're working 60, 70 hours a week, and you want to take 21 hours of Bible college? At what time of your day are you going to do this? I said, well, from 8 a.m. to noon. She's like, well, when are you going to work? And I was, well, obviously, from midnight to 8 a.m. Why wouldn't you work at that time? I don't want to work in the heat of the day. I want to sleep. <clears throat> there will always be naysayers. But because there's naysayers, that is no reason to stop doing what God's going to call you or has called you to do. Paul said, there are things that are rightfully owed to me. He said, but nevertheless, I'm not taking them. He said, I'm not doing this for the fruit of the vine. I'm not doing it for the milk of the flock. Skip down, if you would, with me very quick. And this is his answer in verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul said there is a necessity laid behind him, upon him. The motive was the propagation of the gospel of Christ. That call <clears throat> holds more power over a missionary than any demand a church, a sending mission agency, or you or I can ever demand upon them. <clears throat> they are not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the wages, profit, fame, glory, prestige. They're not doing it for the fruit of the vine or the milk of the flock. There is a necessity laid upon them which they cannot ignore. Let me tell you, if you're in this church and you're a member, 
you're a member in this church, that means you're saved, you're born again, you know you are. You should have a necessity laid upon you to serve. If you're not called to go to the mission field and you say that the Lord will lead you, if you're not called to the mission field, then you're called to be here. And some part of here should have your service. A necessity should be laid upon you. And it doesn't matter if it's to go, if it's to preach, teach, sing, usher, go to Bible college, teach Awanas, do the nursery, witness, straighten up the tracks, stack up the chairs. Whatever service God has called you to do, step up and let's get her done. I'm teaching and teaching to my, preaching to myself a lot here. I know what my shortcomings are. You know, we need to stop often thinking about what others think of us and start thinking about what more, what God thinks of us. I know there's people I've talked to and, and they have, the Lord deals with them, deals with them about service. They're more concerned about somebody else than they are about the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't be concerned about the logistics. Whatsoever is not of faith is a sin. You say, well, I don't know how it will work out. I went to Bible college. We went down to Texas. We started a construction company. Highly, highly successful. Paid off a very significantly high debt in about four months, just getting a business started. And the insurance guys loved us. That means we were busy, right? <clears throat> I told her I'm going to Bible college. She's like, why? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to go. So I go to Bible college. I don't know what the preacher preached, but he, he, he's up there and the Holy Spirit is just poking at me and poking at me. But time to serve, time to serve. I honestly did this. I took a pen. I turned to the part of my Bible that had a blank page. I was literally going to write there. August the 6th, 2006. And I was going to write. I probably should have served. It was exactly six days to the day I was saved. And I fell on the altar and I said, Lord, forgive me. I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. If you want me to go preach here, preach there, go to missions, whatever you want me to do, give me that. I can't tell you why God took me off the mission field, but I know why he took me to the mission field. It mended my heart. I did some good, I think, for the cause of Christ. Necessity was laid upon me. There was no way to ignore that call. You call it coincidence, you call it whatever you want. There was only one day in my life that God could have called me that I would have surrendered to do whatever it was that you wanted me to do. And it was six years to the day from the day I was saved. So we did what all smart people do. And we packed up a 3,500 square foot house and 72 foot trailer and we left. And we had a great time. I'm just telling you, <clears throat> we need to consider the call.
and we need to consider the motive of the call. <clears throat> so we've considered a call, and I want you to know that we need to consider the care of missions. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. What I want you to get from there is he said it flourished again. That means it happened before. Thinking about my homiletics instructor, teacher in Bible college, he said, you can't have a number one if you don't have a number two. And I'm like, well, I don't know how that makes sense. Uh, I can see not having a number two if you don't have a number one. But he said, hey, no, if you're going to do it one, you're going to have a number one. You're going to have a two. If you're going to have an A, you're going to have a B. And he said, if it's happened before, it's not the first time. I'm like, okay, big stuff here, right? He said, it hath flourished again. That means it's routine. It's recurring. This is not the first time. The Philippian church gave to Paul when he was in Thessalonica. They gave unto him again as he left Macedonia. He mentions it again to the church in Corinth. And now he's in prison and again they have given unto him. Giving to missions is not new. But it should be routine. It should be recurring. <clears throat> it should flourish again. There should be always a time when we, we think about what we give and we consider what we give. Let me encourage you, if you've given in the past and you're not giving now, it should flourish again. Let it flourish again. He said in verse 15, they communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. And again, the idea is that it's just continual. In verse 10, he says, ye were also careful. Careful here means to take thought for another or have a duty to care for another. We might say they were full of care. Their giving was an investment for the cause of the gospel. Much of the missions month is intended that you and I may be careful or full of care. I want to encourage you. There's more, way more to missions than just giving. <clears throat> In verse 10, the Philippian church lacked opportunity. And we won't turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know that they gave beyond their abilities. Macedonia was persecuted uh, greatly, and, and they were impoverished because of it. We don't lack opportunity. That's right. We just don't. We may not always be comfortable, but we are not in want. We're not in poverty. Things are not always easy, and, and I get that. But the Bible says they gave according to their own power and beyond their power. I wrote this down earlier. Um, this is my personal note for me. 
that says, are you really giving as if you required God to help you? I know the answer to it. Faith, promise, missions, giving. Can I tell you, I mean, you'll, you'll hear it. It has nothing to do with giving up your Starbucks. If $4 is what you think missions giving is, I would say start there. That's fine. But they gave beyond their abilities. Quite frankly, I think that American missions probably survives on our abundance. And thankful for that, right? Um, I'm not sure that we're right there yet. I know I'm not not there where I can give beyond myself. <clears throat> Please don't turn there, but let me read to you a little bit about caring for a missionary from 3 John. 3 John chapter 5, he says, John says, Beloved, talking to Gaius, Gaius, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the stranger. That brethren would be the itinerant pastor, the evangelist, the traveling missionary, and to the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. He says, everywhere these people go that have been to your place, they talk about how good your charity is, how much you entreated them, how well you took care of them. Not for the glory but for the cause of the gospel. Gaius was not the pastor. Gaius was not, um, Gaius was a member of the church. And the Bible says every time a stranger, evangelist, missionary showed up, he cared for them. And this charity, the work that he did, was spread amongst all of the brethren. They all had heard of it. <clears throat> it says, but... In, in verse 7, it says, but for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. In verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Gaius was all about missions. He was very careful. He cared for each pastor and missionary that came through. In such a way that I believe people are excited to go there. I think they knew that if we get a chance to get to Macedonia, we're gonna go see Gaius. I've got to meet this guy. I think missionaries and pastors say that about Eastland Baptist Church. I really do. I will tell you this, my dear wife, poor girl, when we went through deputation, went through 167 churches. We were at a rate of about 2.8 per week. And one Saturday and Sunday, I had her in five churches in two days. And she's like, you do that again, we're done. I'm like, okay, I get it. There's some great churches out there that really cared for us. There's some Gaiuses across America just poured their love out on us. And there were churches 
And we're like, well, at least we don't have to go buy new prayer cards. My prayer is that Eastland will always be remembered like a gaze. That our care for the gospel of Christ means that much. Just like in Sunday school, we just keep going to pages, one after the other, find out what's the most important. I've got a, too many pages here to preach out of. Can we talk about the credit of missions? <clears throat> All of us have some form of bank banking. It is a good thing to have banks. It's a good thing to have your checking account get more credits than it gets debits. Especially at the end of the month. Because we want that side of the account to go up and not in the red. I have an account at home. It's called the Good Marriage Account. So it is a marriage message as well. That Good Marriage Account goes this way. If I do good and nice and serve her, there's a credit that goes in that account. And if I do good and nice and I serve her, there goes another credit in that account. And I'm in the black. And then I'll say something that's probably dumb and that she just pulls a little debit out and I'm back down. But I keep feeding that credit. I keep adding to that account, that good marriage account. Why? Because I know it's going to pay off. And it will pay off in the form of pumpkin bread. <laughs> because she knows what my account credit looks like. Feed my stomach and I will keep doing good. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18, let's look there. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Look at that last three words, well-pleasing to God. It is very nice to know that God is pleased with giving. If God was not pleased with giving, you ought not give. Why would we do something that's unpleasing to God? <clears throat> Therefore, give to God. It's well-pleasing. Have you ever been disappointed in giving? I have been disappointed in giving. I had to really figure out why I was disappointed. I gave, and, and, I, and uh, it, it ended up being disappointment. Well, sometimes I've given because my sympathy strings were pulled on me, and the wool was pulled over my eyes as well. I found it much easier to give where the Lord leads and the Holy Spirit guides, so I'm not disappointed. You say, well, how do we give without being disappointed? How about this? Give to God. You say, yeah, I would like to give faith promise. I, I, would, I would like to support missions. 
But I don't know, what if the church doesn't spend it correctly? What if the missionary wastes it? And I would say to you, you're not giving to God. If you give it to God and Pastor Durrell or this church or any missionary waste your hard-earned money, guess what? You're going to get a blessing from God because you gave with a grateful heart. And I'm not going to sit back and worry about what a missionary does with my money because I gave it away when I gave it to God and it no longer counted toward mine account. But I think I got some credit. If you give to missions with a contented heart, careful for the missions, you will find that you will give more often and more places than you ever thought that you could give. I have never found or heard of a Christian who faithfully gives to faith promised missions who doesn't give and donate in godly places outside of the church. And it happens over and over and over. My wife and I have learned God's going to supply our need. And we just keep giving. Let me close with this. <clears throat> Actually, I'm not going to close with this. I'm going to do this quick and then I'm going to close with something else. Verse 19. Okay. Um, Let's look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I just want you to understand this. Philippians chapter 4 is all about missions. And it is about missions giving. And you can claim that promise all you want, that my God will supply all your need. But that promise is specifically for the missions giver. And you say, well, wait a minute. I don't like that. Uh, okay, here, let me help you out. Go give to missions and see if your supply doesn't increase. Mine did. So we've considered to call, we've considered to care, we've considered to credit. And then lastly, <clears throat> I want you to consider the cross. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. <clears throat> We're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For our wages of sin is death. But God committeth him to himself toward us in that I'm sorry, but God committeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the gospel message. That's what we give for. That's what we care about. That's what we commit to. And I would just tell you this. If you're here in a church like this on a Wednesday night, I would not be too proud to walk down the aisle if you're not saved. I was saved in a church at the age of 30. I had sat there for a year too proud to come down the aisle. And I finally realized I was going to die and go to hell because of my pride. I knew who God was. I knew who Christ was. Absolutely. I had never walked the aisle and accepted Him. And at the age of 30, I confessed with my mouth and received Christ as my Savior. 